وبارك على سيدنا محمد طب القلوب ودوائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد كلما ذكرك الذاكرون وغفل عن ذكرك الغافلون The day and age we live in today is a day and age of inversing an inverted society that attempts to reinterpret everything which is well known, everything which we take for granted and turning it upside down, making it topsy-turvy to the point that young children in schools are now taught that if they feel the boy feels like a girl, he is a girl and if the girl feels like she is a boy, she is a boy. And living in such inverted times, it's not sufficient for people just to hear speeches on Giarni Sharif or just what we hear regularly. They need to know more because Al Quran Kareem has depth and the Sunnah of Rasulullah has depth. Rasulullah foretold every tribulation, every tribulation that shall occur. And when we turn to Al-Quran Al-Kareem and the Sunnah of Rasulullah we find guidance with regard to everything in this age of inverted confusion. Inverted confusion to the point that young people, they cannot concentrate and read a book. They need to watch TikTok in order to understand life. And if they watch a 30 second video, they believe they have understood the complexity of what surrounds us. Some people, they think they understand the complexities of modern life by watching conspiracy theories or what the establishment may refer to as conspiracy theories when in reality, don't let the sound distract you. Look towards me, inshallah. Because if your attention spans are distracted by small sounds like that, then how do you expect to re-establish the khilafah? Yes? What's a small distraction at the back? That the complexities of the world that we live in today are an amalgamation of historical facts, the interactions of different peoples and cultures, and that complexity reaches us today in the state that we live in. Some of us may have been born only 10 years ago. Others may have been born 15 years ago. And you, you are born into something more complex than just a matrix. You are born into a, a place of which cannot understand itself. It's a complete mess. That if a man recently, someone was telling me just now, that a man raped two women, he's taken to court, then he claims to be a woman. So the judge places him in the women's prison. And then what do they do? This decision is disputed, so they remove him back to the men's prison. This is the confusion of the age we live in. So making sense of the world that you live in, some of you may think that the world we live in is normal. But many of us will remember that prior to 9-11, prior to the act of nihilism, self-destruction, which occurred on the September the 11th in 2001, Prior to that act of nihilism, the world was a different place. 
But those who were born maybe in the 1980s, they would think that the world they were born in is normal. But if someone backtracks the time, they would go back to World War II, where the middle classes in Britain had to mix with the working classes and they realized that the majority of the working classes do not even have clean hands to wash their hands in this country. They realize that the working classes do not even have sufficient money or wealth to even clean themselves. Yet this was the empire upon which the sun never set. And then you go 20 years back, you wind the clock even more, and you go back to the year 1924, and you have the formal abolition of the Khilafah. The Khilafah is formally abolished by a man who was known as Kamal Ataturk, Mustafa Kamal. And so many misguided Pakistani leaders today, they think Kamal Ataturk was a hero for Turkey. They do not realize that this Kamal Ataturk was the man who carved up the Uthmani Khilafah. He was the one who carved up and gave up much of the, the land that was left, even though he did defeat the European invaders, but he defeated them with concessions. So many concessions that everyone is talking about 2023 and the fact that Turkey can charge, make levies against people who bring ships into the Dardanelles or the Bosphorus River. They can charge them money. That's all 2023 signifies for Turkey. But that deal and treaty was signed under Ataturk. And Ataturk was such a misguided individual that he banned the Quran in the Arabic language. He was such a misguided individual that he locked the Masajid. And then you have populist leaders, people who have a popular support, maybe in Pakistan and other countries, who will go to the grave of Ataturk and place flowers and maybe even recite Surah Al-Fatiha for Ataturk who was a kafir. This man Ataturk was the one who took millions worth of gold from the Khilafah movement in India, which contradictorily had Gandhi involved in the Khilafah movement. And the millions of gold that was sent to Ataturk, what did he do? He gave it to the bankers. Why? So they could give him a national Turkish bank. And what did they give him in replace of that? They gave him a paper currency. So he gave the gold away for a paper currency. This is Ataturk. And Ataturk was in charge of the abolition of the Khilafah. The Khilafah was something that governed the Muslim world or the majority of the Muslim world for 1300 years. Established by Sayyiduna Rasulullah who said, Alaykum bi sunnati, you must follow my sunnah. Wa sunnati al-khulafai and the sunnah of the rightly guided caliphs after me. Who were they? Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu. al-bashar ba'd al-anbiya. The most superior of humanity after the anbiya alayhi salatu wassalam. Bi ijma'i ahli sunnah wal jama'ah. With the consensus of ahli sunnah wal jama'ah. Ala raghmi shi'ati wal rawafiq. On the noses of the shi'a and the rawafiq. And then, after Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu the foundations were solidified by no less than 
Sayyidina Umar Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu ta'ala anhu who was Khalifa for 10 years and you just read the accounts of his Khilaf Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu the man who said that even if a goat dies on the banks of the Tigris river then Umar is responsible meaning even the death of a goat the Khalifa who is referred to as a shield or the Imam who is referred to as a shield is even responsible for the death of a goat that dies on the banks of a river. Compare this with the global outreach of America today that when they throw Agent Orange or they throw napalm on masses of land in Vietnam in South Vietnam, from the, during the Vietnam War, from 1954 to 1975, destroying the crops and killing hundreds and thousands of people, poisoning them, the global empire today, or placing sanctions on a place in Iraq where over 500,000 children died, and then the mad woman, Madeleine Albright, is asked, is it worth placing these sanctions if half a million children die? And she says, it is worth it. Compare this with the global empire that we have today that when it suits its policies it will claim to emplace democratic rule in a country but when it doesn't suit its goals and aims it may even support despots like Pol Pot. Pol Pot who was responsible for the Cambodian killing camps killing well over a million people they referred to him initially as the Hitler of the modern age, but then later on they supported him when it suited their policies. So the Khilafah is a protection for human life. Khilafah is not a tyranny. Today, there are people who attempt to redesignate the Khilafah as a tyranny when in reality the Khilafah was a safeguard. The Khilafah like Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that even if a goat dies on the banks of the river then Umar is responsible. This was the meaning of the shield. What did the Khalifa shield? Firstly he shielded human life. After human life he shielded even the lives of animals. That even when there is sacrifice involved in slaughtering an animal in Islam the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi gave guidance that a blade should be so sharp and the blade should not be shown to the animal that's, that is slaughtered. No animal should be slaughtered for meat in front of another animal. And then you slaughter the animal so quick that the death is painless. That's when slaughtering meat, slaughtering an animal for meat. Imagine anything else. You would not make Africa your playing ground for hunting trips just for using Kenya as a hunting ground not for only killing animals but also for killing Africans the number of Africans that were transported from Africa alone from West Africa you look they numbered in the millions millions of Africans transported across the Atlantic this was tyranny but the Khilafah is what a safeguard against tyranny this is of course when you have Al-Khilafatul Rashida, the rightly guided Khilafah. 
that the shield, that which shielded the Ummah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam against tyranny was the Khilafah from the time of Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq Radiallahu Ta'ala An passing through the ages up to the point of a Sultan Abdul Hamid Al-Thani, the second Rahimahullah Ta'ala and then the formal abolition in 1924. Ever since 1924 until this day, you have the redesignation, the relabeling of jihad as fasad. Jihad as being what? Tyranny. When in reality, jihad has never been tyranny, but it has been relabeled as tyranny. So the tyranny of dropping phosphorus on civilian, civilian areas is not mentioned. The tyranny of dropping chemicals on civilians is not mentioned. The millions that are spent on making chemical weapons and developing nuclear war, uh, warheads is not mentioned. But what is mentioned, that when a young child throws a stone against a tank, that is referred to as terrorism today. In Palestine, for instance, today, when a child is carrying a rock against the soldier of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, and even the main force itself tells you what they are about. This Israeli Defense Force soldier is covered with all types of paraphernalia to, to defend himself against a child throwing a rock. And then the child will be arrested and placed in a in a prison, sometimes in a dark dungeon for days, for months even. Some of them will be shot with rubber bullets defending Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa Al-Sharif. When they defend Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa Al-Sharif, the bullet will go into the stomach. I've met Palestinians like this. Rubber bullets. Sometimes the rubber bullets will blind them. And this is all referred to as what today as tyranny. When in reality, the tyranny is on the other side. When people would want to look at human rights abuses, they become very selectful. Selective, selectful in choosing what consists of a human rights abuse. What will be termed as a human rights abuse? That child carrying the rock or something known as the Qassam missile. But in reality, the counter response when entire buildings are demolished under the pretext of terrorism and young children are dying in their dozens, that is not referred to as an act of terrorism. So today, for instance, you have a government that will designate a group as a terrorist group, but it will never designate the illegal state of Israel as a terrorist state. Why? Because it goes against the interests. When it goes against the interests, then that terrorist entity is not referred to as a terrorist entity. But all of this has occurred from 1924 until today, where jihad is referred to as fasad. And then you have the play, the, the stage play being conducted in Pakistan by the ruling elite, a secular ruling elite that only utilizes Islam when it fulfills their agendas in order to mobilize the population because of a popular support. When you use the name of Islam, you will engender what popular support, but they abuse Islam by taking IMF loans, loans which have reached the point of what? 
amassing a loan of over 224 billion. Now they owe 224 billion. How will the poor man on the road who, who pulls his rickshaw, men who physically pull their rickshaw, pay a bill of 224 billion so the leaders of Pakistan can live in luxury, so that the retired army generals can live in their compounds? All of this money is being loaned from the IMF. And then you have the gullible supporters of various political parties who say in response to this, they say, how else shall Pakistan pay its loans except by taking another loan? Imagine the logic. We owe money to IMF. How do we pay the money back to IMF? Let's pay, let's take more loans. Why so they do not place sanctions upon us? Well, if your country was self-sufficient in the first place, then they, the sanctions will never affect you. Self-sufficiency is the first rule of Islam. What type of self-sufficiency? Not the self-sufficiency of GM crops, which they have in abundance in Pakistan today. No, GM crops which tamper with the environment. No, a natural agriculture. An agriculture that was established by the Khilafah in the past, where the human beings can maintain their own self-sustenance through farming. And this is why the early Khulafa, as is mentioned in Siraj al-Muluk, they said, keep the farmers fat and they shall keep you fat. Today you have overtaxation. They will overtax the farmers, starve the farmers and then starve the population. So what is the relevance of the Khilafah today for us as young Muslims? The relevance is this, that when you have a thought police which governs your schools today, your schools today are governed by a thought police. What is that thought police? The thought police is telling you what to think, what to say, what you cannot say, not to express your freedom of thought and freedom of speech. How? That if you actually speak your mind, you are gagged with hate and being labeled as hate speech, when in reality you may not be promulgating or propagating hate speech, in reality you may be just speaking your mind. How many young children today cannot even exercise their freedom of speech? They can say things like a boy saying, I am a girl, but they cannot say that to say, for a boy to say that he is a girl is wrong. It is inherently wrong, genetically wrong, biologically wrong, scientifically wrong. The answer is they are stopped. So today it's essential that we as Muslims recognize our identity. What is our identity? Our identity is summarized in the story of Sayyiduna Ribi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. When the armies, and today people learn about football players, boxers, fighters, they learn about different types of people. You should learn about the Sahaba Ridwan, like Sayyiduna Abu Ubaidah bin al-Jarrah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the conqueror of Syria. Or, the, or Sayyiduna Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu anhu. Who were these people? They conquered entire regions and then governed those regions also with justice. What was their justice? An example of that, is Sayyiduna Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. When Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhu entered the city of Jerusalem, the people complained regarding Sa'ad radiallahu anhu. They said, 
that your governor, he was governing a certain region, that we see him, he's a good man, he does everything correctly, but we only see him six days a week, when in reality he should be present seven days a week. So Sayyiduna Umar goes to the house of Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas on the day that he's absent. And he enters his home. And Sayyiduna Sa'ad gives the response why he's absent for one day. He says, I only have one suit, one pair of clothes. And I wear it six days a week. And on the seventh day, I wash that pair of clothes, so I have nothing to go out in. So I dry that pair of clothes. That was the governor that you had. That was the governor that represented Al-Islam. But what exemplifies a Muslim today is in the story of Sayyiduna Ribi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. One of the soldiers of Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu anhu. When they enter the territory of Iraq, modern-day Iraq, they are faced by the Persian general, Rustum, the Colin Powells of the day, the general Colin Powells of the day. And Rustum sets up a tent with all exorbitant luxury, ostentatious ornaments, placing rugs across the walls, expensive rugs on the ground and he demands from Sayyiduna Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas that either you come to dialogue with me or you send your representative. Sayyiduna Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu sends Sayyiduna Rib'i radiallahu anhu a Sahabi. Sayyiduna Rib'i radiallahu anhu goes on his horse. He rides on his horse and he reaches the encampment of the Persians. When he reaches the encampment of the Persians, he enters the tent and he slices a pillow in half and ties his horse to the pillow. And then enters and overturns the spear and walks on the carpet, tearing the carpet apart as he walks across. He's not amazed by the materialism today people are exposed to mundane vanity, mundane materialism. And young people, they make it a goal to be materialistic. What is materialism? To be attached to the dunya. These companions were not attached to the dunya, but Allah gave them the entire dunya. They were not attached to worldly life and Allah gave them long lives like Sayyiduna Khalid radiallahu anhu, who said, that when he died in bed at the end, after having hundreds of wounds on his body, he never died in battle, even though he wished for death. Sayyiduna Rib'i radiallahu anhu, he enters, he goes to the throne where Rustum is sitting and he forcefully sits next to Rustum, undermining the authority of Rustum. Why was he able to do this? He was not able to do this because he had material means. He was able to do this because he had Iman. He had strong Iman. That is the difference between the Muslims today and the Muslims of yesterday. Do you believe that if there was an occupation in the time of the Sahaba Ali Muridwan, like there is today 
of the city of Jerusalem, Al-Quds al-Sharif, and there were over 10,000 Sahaba in Al-Madina, Al-Munawwara alone, what would they be doing? Today, look at the state of the Muslims. We boast we have one point something billion. Yet we cannot even shake off the shackles of materialism or the yoke of materialism from our necks. So what happened? Sayyiduna Rib'i radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Rustum says to him through a, an interpreter that what do you Arabs want? You've come from the desert all of a sudden and you claim you have a book which guides you. What do you Arabs want? Sayyiduna Rib'i radiallahu anhu. He said many things, but one of the things he said, he points at the men, the Persian men who were standing around with their necks down. Their necks were down, bowing to the, to the Persian general. He said to take man from out of the worship of man into the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you identify yourself as a Muslim, your, the identity is what? That you are the slave of Allah. What is your identity? Your identity is that you are the slave of Allah. And what does the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? He fulfills the rights and obligations which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed upon him. Today people play identity politics. There is no identity politics. A Muslim is someone who submits to the will of Allah. And the one who submits, submits to the will of Allah he gives priority to the law of Allah over the law of man. The law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over the law of man. So our identity is that we are servants and slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is our identity. This is our who we are. Our identity is nothing else. Today when people attempt to boast of nationalism, one person identifying himself as a Pakistani, another as a Bengali, another as an Indian, another as an Iraqi, another as an Iranian, another as a Turk, another as a Syrian. This identity doesn't mean nothing because your borders can finish. In 1979, Bangladesh was known as what? East Pakistan, now it's known as Bangladesh. So prior to 1979, you were known as East Pakistani. Then prior to 19... 47 you were known as an Indian uh, uh, from Bengal and then prior to that you were known as a Mughal all of these things change but one thing never changed is that you are a Muslim so the identity a person has the first identity is that I am a Muslim who submits to the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the land is the land of Allah and the slaves are the slaves of Allah the entire globe is the globe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we identify ourselves as we say we are Muslims, we are people who submit to the will of Allah. Our guide is the Quran. Our guide is Al-Quran Al-Kareem. Our master is Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who gives us the explanation of Al-Quran Al-Kareem in his sunnah. This is the Muslim. And then, what is the obligation on the Muslims? Firstly, the mass obligation on the Muslims, the mass obligation is to restore the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
The first command is the five daily prayers. As-salawatul khamsu. Praying your five daily prayers. Think about it. How many today in, in our country of Britain today, young Muslims, they identify themselves as roadmen. But these roadmen who ascribe themselves to the road, what I remember some of the roadmen in Birmingham, where I am from, they also identify themselves as roadmen. When talking to them, I said, how many of you roadmen are able to go now to Turkey, to southern Turkey, and pull out the dead from the rubber? They don't have the heart. Some of them smoke so much weed and cannabis, they probably cannot even run around the block. They cannot even pick up things. Their knees will start hurting because the number of takeaways they have been consuming. They probably cannot even last a minute in a proper fight. This is why they use knives. Meaning when discussing with them, I say, you last with me for one minute, we'll see. This is why you're using blades, because you cannot hold yourself in a fist fight. In one fist fight or a grappling match, you cannot last for a minute. So why are you referring to yourselves as roadmen? Do not be roadmen, be men of Allah. Be men of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Real men look after their families. Real men look after their homes. Real men go out and work and bring back halal rizq for their family. Provide for their wife and children with halal rizq. When you're sustaining your children with haram, then they will come out as people of haram. And in the Urdu language, that's a swear word. In Arabic, it's not. If you add the ya to the word haram, it's a swear word. But in Arabic, it means a person lives on haram. If you feed your children haram, they will come out as haram. So real men are people who supply risk, halal risk for their family. And then real men, when they see disasters like the flood in Pakistan or the flood in Bangladesh or, or the disasters in India or the disasters in today in Turkey and Syria and any other part of the Muslim world or anywhere in the world where Muslims are suffering or even innocent humans are suffering, they give some of their risk towards those people also. That's what real men do. And then additionally, they go out and help those people by pulling them out of the rubber physically. Meaning people who go and do this, not for what is today's culture, what is today's culture of attaining fame and notoriety for doing good. Every little good thing a person does, he places it on social media. This falls into a riyah's ostentation. Rasulullah said, مَا ذِئْبَانِ جَائِعَانِ أُرْسِلَ فِي الْغَنَمِ بِأَفْسَدَ لِدِينِ الرَّجُلِ مِنْ حُبِّهِ الْمَالَ وَالْجَاهِ Narrated by Imam Abu Dawood and Imam Ahmad that two hungry wolves that are dispatched into a flock of goats do not corrupt the religion of a man are not more corrupting to the religion of a man than what meaning they do not destroy the goats more than a man loving two things what is it wealth and mal well 
which is what fame and notoriety. So everyone is making selfies wherever they go. I am picking up, I am doing work of a charity. I am doing this, I am doing that. You're destroying your actions. Real men do not do ostentatious acts. They carry out the act. Like what happened. I mentioned this previously, but I'll mention it again. Where in the Khilafah, when Sayyiduna Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu every other day he would go out somewhere. One day Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhu he became curious. Where is my master going? Who's the master? Sayyiduna Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. So he follows Sayyiduna Abu Bakr al-Siddiq every day to a house. And then he goes in the house and he leaves the house and Sayyidina Umar doesn't know why is he going in the house. And then what happens? Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq passes away. After he passes away, Sayyidina Umar decides to go to the house knowing that it, it is the house of an old woman. So he thinks to himself, I will take some dates because you observe Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq taking dates. I will take some dates. But I will not inform the woman that Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq has passed away. So he knocks the door. And the woman, she thinks it's Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq. Old woman, she takes some of the dates. When she chooses the dates, she says, has the man, she didn't know it was Abu Bakr Siddiq, she didn't know it was the Khalifa. Imagine that today. She didn't know who the man was. She said, the man who would bring the dates previously, has he passed away? So Sayyiduna Umar informs her, yes he has, how did you know? She said, he would take out the stones from the dates and you had not taken out the stones from the dates. You want quality role models? These are the quality role models for people. The quality role model is Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu The quality role model is Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu ta'ala The quality role model is Sayyiduna Uthman radiallahu ta'ala The quality role model is Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu who was taken to court by whom? A Jewish citizen. Today, they talk about anti-Semitism. There is no anti-Semitism in Islam because the Arabs are Semitic and the, the Hebrew Jews, they lived in peace with the Muslims to the point that a Jewish citizen takes the Khalifa to court. The Jewish citizen takes the Khalifa to court. Not any Khalifa, Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu And what happens? is that the judgment is given in the favor of the Jew. And later on, the Jew says he made the entire thing up in order to test the justice of the Muslims. This is the real Islam as it was practiced. But is it only a thing of the past? The answer is no. You, the future generation, everyone who is under 40 years old in this world is the future generation. You, the future generation, will insha'Allah ta'ala see the re-establishment of the Khilafah. The Khilafah will be re-established. 
it is inevitable but but it is mashrut it is conditional what is it conditional upon it is conditional upon what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the quran al quran al kareem wa'ada allah alladhina amanu minkum wa 'amilu salihati la yastakhlifannakum fil ardi which means what allah has promised wa'ada those who what believe amongst you firstly the first shart is iman iman in what in allah and his messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam secondly what's the second shart wa'amilu salihati and they do good actions it's conditional on these two things that when we as a muslim society as an entire society we have strong iman and we do good actions and we avoid sins then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from amongst this segment of society will establish the khilaf they will not be people who live on takeaways and cannot run around the block and cannot get up for fajr prayer and are staying on tiktok all day they will be people who pray salatul tahajjud and qiyamul layl you have to be realistic they will be people who will be strong allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will prepare them they will be people who will know al-quran al-kareem and the sunnah of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and know how to implement the quran they won't be people like these pakistani politicians you have today the politicians you see all of them they will never establish the khilafa they will be like nuruddin zangi rahimallah the story of nuruddin zangi rahimallah ta'ala is what and remember these are not romanticized stories these are real occurrences that happen in muslim history what happened with sayyiduna nuruddin zangi firstly a trader entered the city of aleppo halab when he entered he had over 20000 gold coins over 20000 gold coins suddenly the tra trader dies when he dies they find out he only left one son so the governors and the people the ministers they write a letter to sayyiduna nuruddin zangi they say perhaps you should take the 20000 gold coins place it in the government capital as a tax you know like this country has something known as what inheritance tax because no one is supposed to get rich a man works in the mills all his life in lancashire and yorkshire until he owns a property and maybe two properties as soon as his properties go over 500000 he dies straight away his children are taxed by 40% Is this justice in Islam there's no such thing no such thing as inheritance tax someone dies he has a million pound it's his children's million the government cannot interfere not like these policies not these policies that these pakistani politicians are attempting to put in tax everyone that's not islam inheritance tax land tax window tax you know that window tax in this country if you had more than 20 windows you'd be taxed 
They even had bedroom tax. It sounds funny now, bedroom tax, council tax. They even had other funnier taxes. They had one Salahuddin tax. In the time of Salahuddin al-Ayyubi, they had a Saladin tax. They would tax the people to fund the wars abroad. They have poll tax, VAT tax. Poll tax was introduced after World War II. VAT tax was introduced after the wars with Napoleon to fund wars. Not to, people think uh, we live in a benefit state. That was only after World War II. After World War II, they made social housing and NHS. The Labour Party, they made NHS at that point. But now you cannot even tell the difference between Labour and Conservative. Nevertheless, the man died. They said to Sultan Nuruddin Zengi, take all the money and give the child a few, a fragment of the money, a section. Sultan Nuruddin Zengi rahimullah, wrote back. He said, may Allah have mercy on the father who died. May Allah bring up the child correctly. May Allah curse those attempting to steal his wealth. We will only implement the law of Allah. The justice of Islam. That if you cannot understand Islam correctly and apply correctly, Islam correctly, you will never be given victory in battle. What do I mean by this? Today there are misguided people who are nihilistic in their understanding of Islam, who fall into the hands of Western powers to be exploited. Extremists who think Islam is mindless killing. Islam is self-destruction. You know the type I'm talking about, people who believe in strapping themselves with bombs and blowing up civilians, terrorists. But they are what? They are nihilists, self-destruction. They have not understood Islam and this is why they are never victorious. The Muslims of the future who will be victorious will be the Muslims who are like a Sultan Salahuddin al-Ayyubi. How? Imagine this. The Christians, Pope Urban sanctions the Crusades against the Muslims. After 1066, this country, you all studied 1066, when this country uh, was invaded by William the Conqueror, they referred to him as the Conqueror. Really, he was William the Pillager. He pillaged England. And he killed so many people, and then he established the Doomsday Book. Why do they call it? They don't teach you this in history in school, do they? Yes? Meaning with my interpretation. Yes? So, the Doomsday Book, look at the name of the book, the Doomsday Book. Why was it called the Doomsday Book? Because he was to, and this is freedom of speech. Utilize your freedom of speech in school. The Doomsday Book was written in order to tax Britain till Doomsday. That's why we are, don't cry at Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady. We were taxed before Margaret Thatcher, before she closed the mines in 1982. We were taxed from that time. And then what happened, they even imposed the taxes everywhere else in India and everywhere else later. Why did they tax so much to fund wars abroad? If you ask the question, why are we so heavily taxed in this country and in America and in Europe? 
The response isn't social housing. So many of our elder Pakistani Bawe think that it's because of the NHS we are taxed. No, they tax you because of they fund so many wars abroad. Most of the tax goes to new nuclear funding, to funding nuclear weapons, to making armaments, to make battleships, to kill people. And then what ha happened in 1066, when they taxed Britain for 33 years, what happens in 1099? Which country did they invade? Go to school tomorrow. Is there school tomorrow? Yes? When you go to these mind-transforming, mind-reforming camps known as schools, ask them the question. The question is, sir, history teacher, sir, why is it in 1066 William the Conqueror conquered England, not Britain, England, and then only 33 years later he, they went and invaded Palestine? What is the intrinsic link? They don't tell you that part. They went and invaded Palestine. Why? Because Christendom was funding a crusade against Islam. <coughs> so to fund the crusade, they invade England. Normandy invades England. Why do they invade England? in order to fund wars abroad. <coughs> when they invade Palestine, the blood is up to the knees. <coughs> the Christian conquerors go and slaughter everyone. They slaughter people to the point that they even slaughter Christian Arabs. So it was not a racial attack, it was based on ideology. They even slaughter, uh, it was also racial, sorry because they slaughtered Arabs. And then, how many years later is the city taken back? <coughs> Quickly, someone answer me without checking Google. About 18 years. <coughs> checking the general knowledge. 71 years. 71 years later, the city is taken back by Sultan Salahuddin al when it's taken back, how does he take the city back? He takes the city, they give him the city. <coughs> After the Battle of Hittin, he, did, he, he demolished the Christian army in the Battle of Hittin, and then the city is taken. Does he destroy the churches? The answer is no. Does he kill the Christians? The answer is no. Does he give safe passage to the Christians? The answer is yes. He gives them safe passage to leave. And those who stay, they can stay as long as they pay jizya. Until you do not have the army that will do that today in Palestine, you will never have victory. The army that does not fight for its ego or political gain, but fights for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how do people fight for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Like Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu anhu, when the man 
when Sayyiduna Ali, many of you must have heard this story, when he has him down, he is about to kill him, and the man spits in his face. So Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an gets off the man, and he releases him. The man says, why didn't you kill me? He said, because before I was going to kill you for the sake of Allah, when you spat on my face, I was going to kill you for my ego. The man became a Muslim. Today, when we oppose the IDF, when we oppose Zionism, we do not oppose them for our ego. We oppose them for the indiscriminate killing that they do. We oppose them for the barbaric approach, for the occupation of the land, for the banning of Muslims entering Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa Al-Sharif, not for our egos. And this is why the future Khilafah will be established by a generation that does not fight for its ego. It fights for what? to raise the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are the important messages with regard to the re-establishment of the Khilafah, which I have been discussing across various masajid in the UK for the past few weeks and will continue to inshallah address. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to firstly establish our five daily prayers, to increase in our ibadah, to increase our recitation of Al-Quran Al-Kareem. Because the armies that conquered, they were armies that recited Quran in abundance. That when the, the commanders, they wrote the letters back to Sayyiduna Umar they said, these are people who by day are lions, but in the night they are, they are like buzzing bees. Why are they like buzzing bees? Because they recite the Quran. So the recitation of the Quran sounds like buzzing bees. They were not on their TikTok phones, these smartphones for not so smart people. They, meaning even every 10 year old has a smartphone. This is something parents should know. Why are you buying your children smartphones? If someone like me who has international contacts, I can use a simple Nokia brick phone. Yes, and that's the benefit of it. It doesn't even break. Why does your child need a smartphone? Why does your child need to go on internet and see those things which remove modesty from the eyes that corrupt young men and young women? It has corrupted an entire generation. Smartphones that, um, as I said, not for so smart people, but also smartphones that are made in factories, in places like China, where the workers stay in places for 18 hours, and then some of them attempt to commit suicide. And then they place nets outside the factory so they cannot jump out the window. And if they do jump out the window, they land on a net. People who make these phones in drudgery and misery, and then the materials, the, the materials utilized to make the phone are taken from where places like Africa, where people are exploited for their mineral wealth. Even the smartphone is exploitative. Even the smartphone you have in your hand, it is exploitation of the poor in Africa and in China. Yet we all have smartphones and then we spend hours and hours on this TikTok 
shaitan and all these different applications that the people who do that they will not be the people who conquer al-quds sharif the people who conquer al-quds sharif are the people who memorize the quran and recite al-quran al-kareem are people who pray their five daily prayers are people who maintain the deen of islam in their lives they do not live on on unhealthy foods on mcdonald's on kfc they live on good pure food homemade food how many of you eat your own mother's food or your own wife's food and nowadays you have daughters and wives who cannot even cook at home that you have cafes and restaurants open till 11 and 12 and women and men sitting in those cafes the firstly the women couldn't cook food now they cannot even make tea at home so they open all these tea shops that's it you laugh at the statement but it's true firstly the women became lazy in cooking at home so everyone goes to restaurants a guest comes to their home they take him to the restaurant now the women have stopped making even tea some of them have deliveries for tea to the house they pay 10 pound for a delivery of a cup of coffee when you with three or four pound you can buy a jar of coffee that will last you the entire month then they complain about the gas and electric bills this is the state of the mind of people and then they cry about putin and his war in ukraine which is a subject for another time inshallah I asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us our aql, our minds, and nur al-iman in our hearts. Allahumma nawwir qulubana bil-iman. Allahumma nawwir aqoolana bil-nur al-iman ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Aqoolu qawli adha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa atubu ilayhi. Allahu Akbar. Ya Rasulullah. Yeah.